Hello and welcome. My name is Roni Firon, and this is The Bigger Picture, where we sit down with experts to hear about their journeys, their insights, and the big ideas that drive them. Stay tuned for today's episode. today's episode, I spoke with Tara Stiles, the founder of Strala Yoga, a revolutionary approach to being, moving, and healing. Strala Yoga is not like other styles of yoga. Strala combines the principles of Tai Chi with yoga and delivers an easygoing flow that allows you to sync with your breath, tune inwards, really listen to your body, and ultimately to become good friends with yourself. Finally, there is a style of yoga that really feels like you. In Strala, the focus isn't on getting the alignment of the pose just right. Instead, poses are thought of as waypoints to move and flow through. This way of practicing yoga shifts your attention from how the pose looks to how you feel as you're moving and breathing. Tara Stiles was private yoga teacher to Deepak Chopra, walked the red carpet with Jane Fonda, and along with her husband, Mike Taylor, Tara has devoted herself to making yoga accessible for everyone. Strala is all about slowing down, softening, moving with your breath, and practicing being kind to yourself on and off the mat. There's no pretentiousness, no strict rules or codes of dress. Strala is open to everyone. In our conversation, we spoke about how Strala Yoga was born, where the philosophy came from, and how the Strala community has developed and grown over the years. I feel really lucky that my introduction into the world of yoga was through Tara's Strala Yoga videos, and I hope that after hearing today's conversation, you'll invite a bit of Strala magic into your own lives as well. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Tara Stiles. Tara Stiles, so great to have you on the podcast today and recording here in Illinois. What a pleasure. So I can't wait to dive into everything Strala Yoga and the philosophy behind it and the journey creating this. And just for people who maybe are hearing this word Strala Yoga for the first time, can you tell them what Strala Yoga means and how is it different from other styles of yoga? Oh gosh. Well, first of all, thanks for coming to hang out with us in Illinois. It's been really great having you here. And For me and for Mike, and I think for our community, Strala Yoga means moving with ease. It means moving how it feels good. And we found out after we started with the name Strala Yoga that in Swedish, it actually is a word that means to radiate light. So perfect, which was perfect and complete happy accident in a way. So radiating light is kind of how I feel when I practice yoga. And I think most people feel that way when you're calm and at ease and all of those things. So it was kind of a perfect accident. (laughs) And how is Strala yoga different from, from different forms? What would you say are some key keynotes? (laughs) Oh my goodness. I think the keynote is it feels calm and at ease and a lot of people, including Mike and myself, use the word not rigid. Okay. And, you know, I think it's a little bit of a challenge to define what you are by saying what you're not. Right. But so much of yoga can be this feeling of forced and pushed and struggled. 
And for me, that just comes down to rigidity and tension and stress. And because yoga is so visual and there's poses and there's endpoints seemingly involved, that idea of rigidity is so easy to sink into it, whether it's how you teach yoga, how you do yoga, or how you're doing your whole life. So from my perspective, yoga is an opportunity to point yourself in the direction that you want to be living in, right. <laughs> not just repeating the direction that you are living in, which so much of us are constantly in that rigid state, in that tense state. And for me, it's about being at ease, <laughs> and about right. trying to calm down and move from rigidity into more ease, not just repeat what's already happening in life, because that that's so easy to do, whether it's yoga or really anything else. Life's already stressful and tense enough. We don't want to repeat that in our yoga. So a lot of people come into Astrala class or a program or anything, and there's this instant, oh my gosh, this is so different from yoga. And then I think, well, yeah, of course it's different from yoga, but it's also different from life. (laughs) And maybe that's kind of the big thing that I've kind of come to understand in, in sharing it is it's not necessarily that yoga has a problem of rigidity. It does, but we also have a problem of rigidity. Yeah, I think that's such a good point because, you know, at the end of the day, certain things that are reflected in yoga are just human nature, right? We're projecting it out and manifesting it in all of these different yoga styles, but it's not that yoga inherently needs to be rigid. It's just a question of what energy are we bringing into our practice. So, a lot of Australia yoga is influenced by Tai Chi as well. So can you kind of work through some of the elements and help us understand how is Tai Chi tied in to Strala? My goodness. So when I first started practicing yoga and sharing yoga myself, a lot of these elements and principles that are in Tai Chi, I was thinking about and discovering without actually knowing that that was Tai Chi in its own form and its own philosophy. Like what? what oh things? my goodness. So the breath-body connection, this idea of softness, so the opposite of rigidity, and you have to be soft in order for your breath to move you. And I always loved that practice in yoga. And I knew that if I was rigid, nothing's going to happen. So I have to not do that. <laughs> so I would soften and, okay, my breath is moving me. That feels good. That feels better moving from the middle of my body instead of moving from fingers and toes and flexing and forcing. So moving from the center and a beautiful concept called Wu Wei in Tai Chi, which literally means use what you need, rest what you don't, which really made sense to me a lot, just thinking about life and conservation of energy and philosophy and dance. So I was starting to think about these things with yoga and then I meet Mike And he says to me, this is Tai Chi. (laughs) And I said, great, because now I know that I'm not having this moment on my own and I can open up some books and learn about Tai Chi and learn the physical practice of Tai Chi and actually incorporate this in more of a mindful way and share this in more of a mindful way, not just in a, okay, you guys, don't you think that this is a good idea? We should move with ease. And, you know, open up a book of Tai Chi and say, well, we can do this Tai Chi breath-body connection, Wu Wei, move from your middle in Tai Chi if you want to learn that form. 
great, but you can also do this in the yoga form, which for some reason isn't being done, at least, you know, not really that we see everywhere. But the cool thing is when you do it in yoga, you start to think because it's yoga, okay, this is my life too. And for me, that's the real big exciting moment where people move themselves through all of these yoga forms because you're upside down, you're on one hand, you're on two feet, you're moving around space, and it gets you thinking about your life. You don't even have to talk about your life so much in the practice. You just do it. And then afterwards, people say, oh my gosh, I realize I'm being rigid in my life, or I'm in the wrong relationship, or I'm doing the wrong career, or I'm doing the right career and I need to keep going. But incorporating those principles of Tai Chi in the yoga form for some reason is just magic right now. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. I, I think, you know, I imagine how inspiring it must have been to discover this whole world of Tai Chi and realize that the ideas that were bouncing around in your head, you know, there's a thousand year old tradition that's been saying the same things. So it gives it so much weight and it's so exciting to dive into that whole world that there's, oh, there's books about this <laughs> and I can discover this whole philosophy. And I think, you know, what you were saying about how through the yoga practice, we can find out all of these things about ourselves and about our life. And there's something about yoga where you can, you know, when it's done in the soft way, when it's done in this way where you can really tune into yourself and you learn to listen to your body and what feels good, what doesn't feel good. How do I connect this thing called my breath to my movements and how can I use all of that in harmony? And practicing that, I feel, first of all, clear some headspace, you know, to think about things in a different way. It drops you in and it makes you relaxed enough to see things in that clear perspective. And just having that daily practice of being soft with yourself and tuning in allows you to actually take that kind of mindset and, you know, approach to the world, you know, in your life of how can I be soft? How can I be true to myself? And in whatever situation you're in, actually listening you know, to how you're feeling, which is, might seem obvious, but it's the hardest thing to do. Yeah, I love that. That's what I was starting to discover for myself. But then also when I was sharing yoga in this way with other people, it's so rewarding to see people discover themselves. And something that I saw from yoga before I was brave enough to kind of share and practice in this way was Yoga, a lot of it seemed to be about getting good at yoga and about doing it correctly and about worshiping the teacher or the pose or whatever and and really trying to just be a good student. You know, a lot of that comes from I'm just doing a good job and look at me, I'm doing yoga properly, I'm checking off all the boxes. So it's got a lot of the personality problems mixed in there too. I think with a lot of people, it can prey on your insecurities about yourself, whether the the insecurities are coming from the inside or reinforced from the outside. It just, to me, seems like a big frazzled mess and you're moving further and further away from the whole goal of yoga and the whole goal of Tai Chi, which is self-discovery and improving for your whole life, not just you know, you reach a goal and yay, look at me, I've done this goal, but it's a forever practice and it's about 
being in harmony with yourself so you can be in harmony with those around you and these big, big picture ideas yeah. <laughs> the name of your podcast and, and uh, just so big and so beautiful that I, as a yoga teacher, don't need to tell a student what they should be doing with their life. Who am I to say that? I don't feel like I have that authority, nor would I want that authority, but I, I understand a practice enough to share it. And I know that when they actually do it and it feels like them, so much becomes possible. And they share with me how they essentially made better decisions and they change things. And it all comes with from within there. It's not didn't happen and now it does, but through this practice, there's a real ability to get comfortable in that place of trusting yourself. And for me, that's huge because so many people with yoga feel like, well, if you just say trust yourself, it's too simple. (laughs) (laughs) And it's almost making fun of the yoga practice. How dare you not jump through all the hoops in a way? And I just see there's different hoops to jump through. It's not the ones that make you feel more bad about yourself. It's about the ones that help you tune into yourself. And really, that's what all of the great teachers that I've read from or found in life are saying anyway. (laughs) Right. No, absolutely. I would love to hear about your whole journey discovering yoga to begin with. How, first of all, how long have you been teaching yoga? Gosh, so Strala started in 2008 with Mike and I together in the park and then in his apartment, (laughs) kind of our first (laughs) space, which was quite fun. But for me, I, I started teaching yoga I suppose privately and very casually with people I would meet saying, oh, try this yoga pose or try this move or try this little sequence around 2003 or four-ish. But again, nothing super serious. At least, you know, I wasn't taking it as uh, this is going to be this thing that I'm now embarking on this journey. (laughs) How did you even stumble on yoga? Like, how did you discover yoga to begin with for yourself? Yeah, so I danced growing up. And I got lucky, I suppose. In my dance conservatory, my ballet teacher, Roy Foster, brought yoga teacher into our program. And he had been in New York City in the 70s doing yoga, dancing with American Ballet Theater. So this was something that really helped his life. And this was the 90s. So, I mean, I know yoga is older than that. (laughs) But it was still not usual to see a yoga class in a dance program or even in a college or a high school program for the arts or there wasn't yoga studios on every corner kind of a thing. This wasn't a practice that you would just kind of walk into somewhere and expect to do as fitness class or something like that. So I feel like I got lucky because it was pretty early for me and I was still a teenager, you know, having that oh my goodness, all these big feelings. Yeah. (laughs) All the hormones. All the hormones, all the feelings and I still feel like that with yoga. I remember walking in and seeing this instructor sit at the front of the room, seemingly happy for no reason, and then <laughs> taking taking us through this class and feeling like, oh my gosh, these are the big ideas and the big feelings that I felt my whole life, but didn't know there was an outlet or there was a place or there was a practice or there was people that could help me continue with this. So from that moment on, I thought, okay, this is huge. This is something I want in my life for forever. In no way did I think this is a career option. (laughs) You know, that was just not 
on the table at all. Just wasn't, I assume this teacher was some sort of a volunteer or (laughs) some sort of a, you know, an angel person that just knew my ballet teacher and was doing it as a favor. I didn't even think it was a job for him. And I didn't see any examples of people doing that as a job, but I really felt like this was a practice for me that I wanted to learn more of from him. He was the only person I knew doing this. So I just kind of sat next to him a lot. My ballet teacher gave me a book on yoga, autobiography of a yogi. So I read that and went to the place on the back and I thought, okay, now there's people doing it a little bit different over here. And I was starting to really see the world that existed at the time and what was presented of yoga as we do it this way. And then, no, no, we do it this way. No, no, that's wrong. And we do it this way. And okay, there's a little bit of yoga wars already happening. (laughs) Yeah, you walk into this whole world of, you know, there's yoga politics all of a sudden. Yeah, I just assumed, I think from that first experience that everybody that was sharing yoga was somehow a good person with good values (laughs) and good ethics and amazing and had your best interests in mind and you could trust them completely, you know, kind of like a good family member. But then I realized, oh my gosh, just like anything really powerful it's really easy to manipulate people. It's really easy to make people feel bad. Or if you're a good person with that, you can help people feel better. So I think that's kind of the world I was discovering and then realizing, oh, this is why not everybody does yoga. (laughs) It's complicated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people say, oh, you should do yoga for back pain or something Mm -hmm. like that. But then where do I go? What kind of yoga style do I look for? What kind of teacher, right? That's so variable and really some yoga styles won't make you feel so good. You know, they'll make you feel a little constrained. So it's amazing to see how you discovered this whole style of yoga by accident and you fell in love with certain elements of it. And then you're kind of trying to explore this world a little more deeply and you see that it's complicated and it's not all roses. But then, so how how did you continue on and how did you form this, your own idea of yoga, right? And what it should be and taking, you know, what you learned from that first class and developing this different style of incorporating so much more flow and freedom and flexibility into the whole movement. Yeah, so... I remember from that experience, my first thought, I guess, either during or after that practice and that kind of time in my life, really thinking about this more all of the time, kind of having it consume my mental power (laughs) was, this is amazing. I feel awesome. And I feel like I have a practice and a process for my life. And my second thought was always, why doesn't everybody do this? Why don't my friends do this? So I was constantly wondering why? And then going around and looking and seeing, you know, the little yoga wars and the styles being against each other and all of this stuff. And well, you're rigid and we're just a little bit more rigid over here. (laughs) We believe you should do yoga on Tuesdays, but not Fridays. And you have to do this pose before this pose. And you have to eat like this to come over here. And, you know, all of these exclusions. And wear certain clothes, (laughs) right? And all sorts of things. And it became kind of comedic to me. I saw the humor in that too. And then I thought, well, people are smart and people are, you know, they can see through this in a way. And the people who can't maybe are a little bit more susceptible to to people controlling them and they just go to it. So I saw a lot of vulnerable people already going to yoga and the the people who were more 
stable just not knowing about it. And I would say, hey, have you tried yoga? Oh, yeah, I tried that once. And that was kind of the end of the conversation. (laughs) And then I would say, oh, well, how are you feeling? Oh, I have back pain. I have a headache. I have this. So I was starting to really understand through my own experience that yoga is useful for your life, not an escape from your life. So which was already this massive change in point of view of how yoga was talked about, at least kind of in culture in America or wherever. So I just remember asking people, how are you feeling? What's going on? And I would share a few things and just by my own nature, make it less rigid, you know, because people would get into a pose and they would try to show me that they're doing a good job. And right away, they would be rigid. It wouldn't even have to be any skill of my own to make them rigid by my own need for them to perform for me. (laughs) It was sort of something that happens. So I thought, wow, everybody wants to do such a good job. This is kind of a human characteristic. They're waiting for the gold star. Yeah. They want me to tell them, oh, good job doing the yoga. You know, (laughs) so I thought, okay, bend your knees a little bit, soften a little bit. And I started to distract people a bit by moving with ease more and create sequences more about movement than about endpoints of poses, which all made sense to me from just learning about movement my entire life. You know, right? I know from the physical body and well-being that putting your body in a position has no benefit. (laughs) (laughs) Being there in a static and holding and being tense has, you know, a worse benefit than a positive benefit. So, but I understand movement and emotion and breath. And the more I do it, the more I started to see other people were gaining these benefits as well. So already just through this kind of laboratory of people I would meet or friends or people I would have over or just taking friends through mini yoga sessions, starting to see my own differences through creating the practice. And then, you know, I would always say, yeah, this is just how yoga should be. You know, they would always say, oh, what style of yoga is this? You know, because people would hear there's this, this, and this, and I've heard of these three things. And it was almost just a conversation starter. What style of yoga are you doing? Right, right. And I just kept saying, this is yoga. Don't worry about it. And they would say, no, no, no. (laughs) This is (laughs) quite different. So, you know, I took trainings and workshops and things and not to be disrespectful because some of the people were really nice people, but I really learned everything I didn't want to pass on. And it was a lot of rigidity, a lot of structural control, a lot of almost cult-like mentality and preying on people's insecurities through a practice and almost normalizing that in a way where if you're not really using your common sense, you would believe, okay, I really do need to be controlled in order to heal myself. That's sort of a a necessary step. And every moment along the way, I think just because I'm more of a skeptical person, when something feels wrong, I always (laughs) kind of (laughs) raise my hand either to ask a question or just to myself and feeling like this is something that doesn't feel quite healthy or right. Or if somebody came into the room right now and saw this happening from the outside, would it look not right? Would it look not okay? Would it look unsafe? You know, so I would always ask myself those questions. Right. Yeah, the question mark bubbles up and Mm. you're like, hmm, is this this the kind of place I want to be? Definitely. So what is in like moments where maybe the yoga teacher was kind of, what would you call adjusting, adjusting uh, certain yoga poses and all sorts of things like that. And I think there's also an element of 
deference and there's very much this putting the guru on a pedestal and uh, you know eating their every word that creates an unhealthy dynamic to begin with. And I think what's so sad is that a lot of people look for yoga because they're struggling with something in their life and because they're kind of you know looking for something to to help them relax or to help them feel better and then in those moments when they're most vulnerable you know to have that be preyed upon is really unfortunate and astrology yoga is just so different than that from that it's really giving people the power to and the permission which is crazy that you know people need from this permission but gives them the permission to listen to themselves and to take care of themselves and to for the first time not think about what they need to be doing and what they need to look like but really going in and saying how does this feel to me right does this kind of movement feel good and you know we're talking about this and as if it's obvious but <laughs> but it's really tough to do because a lot of us you know we're very used to making decisions in our lives based on what we think we need to be doing and not really dropping in and so i see strali yoga's you know it's a yoga practice but then it also teaches you how to be authentic and listen to yourself and these are simple things but they make such a difference and i'm wondering you know so you started you know teaching yoga out of mike's apartment and in the park and everything and at what point did you know that okay we're on to something this is doing real good for people i guess when people started coming back <laughs> <laughs> that's a clue <laughs> it was a clue and not just because there was nothing else to do that day at 7 p.m. but people were coming back and bringing friends and and saying to their friends this is an okay place you know yeah. people were being themselves there and especially in New York and i think this is probably true everywhere but New York at least from my experience is such a culture of as soon as you meet someone in any context, who are you? What's your job? What's going on? Where do you fit in society? Just by the nature of habit. And I was starting to see the conversations shift completely, not just between me and the people coming to class, but people to each other saying, how are you doing? What's going on? How are you feeling? You know, oh, this class is so fun. Whatever it was, it just shifted and people started feeling comfortable in that environment. And it was fun for me at that point and also every point because it would be maybe months or a year before I found out, oh, that person is a climate change expert. I had no <laughs> idea that's just Dale in the front row moving with ease and, you know, taking good care of himself. And Dale calls me and says, oh, can the New York Times come and do a little profile piece on me for my day that I do every Saturday? And part of oh. that is coming to Strala Yoga. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm so happy for you that you're climate expert. And you know, sorry I didn't know that before. And but I realized that that's part of the magic of having a space, not just a physical space where you don't feel that pressure to perform, but also that emotional space inside where you're actually taking good care of yourself and you're interested in the things you're interested in and you're transforming and you're you're making better choices for yourself, but you don't have somebody that's moving all of those pieces for you. I'm I'm guiding through this experience that works if you do it and it connects you back to yourself. So people started coming and I suppose a lot of the same 
or similar feedback was happening. I feel so great. Or, you know, these things at first that seemed so overwhelming, people would come and say, I changed my job. And I, and I'm like, are you okay? What's going on? Do you need a place to say, oh no, no, I found a new one that I love more. Or I got out of this relationship that was abusive and I'm so happy now. And I was never advising these people on what they should do in their life. I was never life coaching or doing those things. I was showing them how to move from a downward dog to a low lunge in a way where they weren't forcing themselves. They weren't beating themselves up. They weren't practicing self-destruction. They were practicing doing hard things in an easy way, which Mike always says, which every time I say that I have his voice in my head, but it's so true. It's not just about relaxing and listening to yourself. It's about moving with care when things are easy so you can do it when things are hard. And it kind of expands the boundaries of where is the practice and when does it start and when does it end? And for me, I think about that so much as a leader, facilitator, guide, or whatever of the space, you know, how I move into the room, how people are moving around each other. And that all really became part of the experience, not just for me and me wanting to do a good job for these people and not kind of have them feel like I'm trying to control them. Everything I was (laughs) not liking from other yoga experiences, but they were starting to feel that as well in their own lives beyond the walls of the yoga studio. So they would go into their job and kind of move around a little bit differently, take care of themselves, uh, breathe a little bit better, you know, all of those things. And that's when I knew, oh my gosh, this is cool. This is okay for me to spend more time doing because I'm actually doing something that I enjoy and it's actually helping people. People are helping themselves. I'm not in charge of the helping, but I have this thing that is somehow special that people can come and do, or I can bring to people. And then they go and they help themselves, which feels so good for me. I feel like that's the whole goal of yoga is to remind people that it's inside. And it doesn't really work if you convince people that you did it for them. It just doesn't work. Eventually that leads to everybody's destruction. (laughs) Right, right. And they have to come back to you to feel that sense of, um, wholeness or you know ease i love that you call it guiding you know and it's not teaching maybe you're leading a class but really it's this guiding through an experience right and it's kind of also by example you know you soften and you feel good and you're relaxed and just comfortable with yourself and that kind of energy ripples out and i wanted to kind of dive into that of this idea that you give the experience of how you feel about yourself, which is something I've heard you say again and again. I'd love to hear, you know, what does that mean to you and why do you think it's so important? I remember when I first started leading yoga and really kind of brushing everything off that people would say to me, even positive feedback. They say, oh, you're such a good teacher. And I'd say, no, 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 I'm not a teacher. (laughs) I hadn't quite figured out the word guide or why or whatever, or, oh, you did this for me. No, 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 you did this for yourself. And, but I feel like this idea of, of leading a class of guiding people to notice themselves is so important. And then I also started teaching yoga super young. So the people in my classes and people I would go and teach yoga to were doctors and lawyers and investment bankers and people that I just kind of felt ridiculous to be in that position of some sort of life guru that people (laughs) would think that a yoga teacher is. 
So I knew that I was sharing something really valuable. I knew that they were making better decisions in their lives. Even these high profile people were making big changes that were improving the world. And I'm like, I'm doing that. <laughs> thinking, this is amazing. You know, I'm walking around New York 21, 22 thinking I'm, I'm helping people. So that was really cool. And, and when I met Mike, you know, I was still kind of rejecting the terminology of a teacher. And I had so many yoga teacher people that I knew that acted in a way because they were taught you have to act superior or better than, or that there was so much studying to do to get where you are. So you have to make people feel that are coming up under you they should feel exhausted on their way up. And it's kind of repeated in, I guess, every industry. You should feel like crap along the way until you, <laughs> you know, until you deserve to feel better. And I'm thinking, well, there's always something to learn. I'm always going to improve. And if I'm going to teach anybody how to do this, I don't want to ever make anybody feel bad unless they're being a jerk. And then, you know, okay, let's fix that <laughs> kind of a thing. But I was talking all of these things through with Mike so often because this is what we spend our time doing so much. And he climbs mountains and he said, well, Tara, <laughs> when you go up a mountain, even if you know how to get there yourself, you usually go with a guide. And I'm thinking, cool, what's a guide? Yeah. <laughs> and then he'd say, well, a guide is someone who has been up and down that particular mountain many times. And I know nothing about the terminology of mountain climbing still. And he would basically say something like, they tell you when to go, when to rest don't step in the crater, do whatever. I'm totally butchering all this stuff. But as soon as he was explaining that to me, I'm thinking, that's what I do. I know the experience of yoga in this way. I can take anybody through it and I can modify it for anybody to meet their body, their mind, their emotional state. But they're going up and down the mountain too. I'm not a Sherpa. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not carrying everybody up and down. So maybe I'm thinking yoga teachers feel like they're a Sherpa, but they're really doing something else altogether. So I love this word guide. And I remember just starting the studio and putting that word guide up and everybody thought it was so corny. Oh, <laughs> you know, oh a guide, whatever. But now it's been so long and I've noticed a lot of yoga teachers have adopted that word for themselves. And I think, well, I hope you're just using it properly. <laughs> yeah. Because for me, it Living has a meaning. Yeah. I mean, every, you know, words are one thing, but I just... I had a problem with the word for myself, and then I really like the meaning of the word guide. And at the end of the day, it's just a word, but it's a word that holds this meaning of how you are facilitating the space. You're in charge. You're still responsible for the safety of whoever you're leading. You know, it's not just you show up and do nothing, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing, which it can be misconstrued as, I think, when somebody sees a guide or myself or even somebody practicing yoga in this way, oh, you just look like you're a hedonist <laughs> or you look like you're just taking care of yourself a little too much in that way when really there's so much complexity in a lot of folks' resistance to basically do the simple things to respect yourself. And for me, that makes me so sad when somebody feels that much resistance to just basic self-care, not tensing yourself in the middle of a pose or a teacher feeling that need to push somebody's body down because they mentally want them to be in a deeper expression of the pose without really thinking about why, <laughs> you know, and all of these 
different expressions of that self-abuse or that anger that comes out in all of these strange ways. Yeah, you know what you were saying about how people think, oh, you're taking care of yourself a little too much, right? And that it's a hedonistic even. And I think that's where a lot of the resistance comes from, right? A lot of this fear of, I don't want to seem selfish and taking care of myself is in some way indulgent and not okay. And the paradox is that when you do actually take care of yourself and you allow yourself, first of all, to be authentic and to listen to yourself and to take those little steps that are available daily, you know, to check in and to make sure you're okay, that ripples out and everyone you're going to come in contact with, you're going to have a better interaction with them and you're going to be able to do so much more for your community. And I think the way you frame it allows people to understand how important this is and what it can do, not only for them, but for everyone around them. For those people who, who think that, you know, I can't do anything for myself because it's selfish. There's such importance in doing that also for you, but for everyone you come in contact with. Because if you're unhappy or if you're not being authentic, then you can't really make connections with anyone. So there's this whole thing in Strala of making that okay, of tuning in, which is not an easy thing to do in our day when, you know, there's so much information, there's so much to do, and there's such a drive to to achieve, right? And there's this like drive for for success, but through this no pain, no gain mentality, right? If I'm feeling good along the way, maybe I'm not working hard enough. There's that kind of misconception. And I love what you guys say about, you know, the conservation of energy and moving easy in order to overcome challenges. And I would love if you could explain that kind of idea of how moving in a more efficient way and just being, you know, in a more efficient way allows you to overcome more challenges. Oh gosh. I mean, first of all, it's real. And I think that's the hard reality for a lot of people, even when they experience a little bit of moving with ease and having that lead to accomplishing more in the silly, simple context of doing something challenging in a yoga class. Sometimes they don't trust that. <laughs> Even to happen again, even to be able to replicate that. So somebody will get in a warrior two, move from their middle and be in it and say, okay, I've done all of that. I have this extra energy left over. So I should use that to feel bad about myself in some way, right? I should use that to tense a little bit more, force a little bit more. I said, well, you can, but you're limiting your own potential. So, you know, I started to, over the years, realize that it's harder for me to convince people the reality of use what you need, rest what you don't get to more by just telling them that it feels better. Because people, for the most part, that are having a problem with this, they don't want to feel better. At least yeah. right now, they don't believe that that leads to anywhere good. And I'm not in the mindset of, I'm going to convince you, Let just believe me. You know? <laughs> so I have to show them that they get more. You know, It's sort of, well, you want more. You're working hard and you're working tense and you're working against yourself because you want to accomplish something. So it's really this 
move easy, everything you've got, like Mike says, in every direction you can. <laughs> He's got all these good sound bites, but it's completely true and you do get more. So what happens is it's just so hard for people mm-hmm. to do that. And it's I've been doing it for over 20 years. And when people do it and they get it and they stay with it and they understand it, there's no looking back. It's sort of, this is it. I'm gone. I'm doing this. This is amazing. I check in with them. Their life is not perfect and awesome, but whenever there's a challenge, they can go at it and not flip out. You know, whereas if somebody is in that force, push and struggle, no pain, no gain, every single challenge needs a different approach, needs a different solution. And there's fear along the way, but that can be completely the reality and the only reality for people. It's sort of, you know, Mike and I love the movie, The Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like, oh, okay, too. guys, which one is the reality? And they're both the reality if you're in it. But if you can have a, a little bit of an opening to say, maybe there's a better way. And that's why I love music and artists say it in so many different ways. But that Ben Harper song, I Believe in a Better Way. And I just love yeah. to put it on sometimes in a class and just lead a little sequence and say, just keep going with the sequence or move how you like and just turn it up. And sometimes that does it for people. Oh, there's a better way. I can get more without beating myself up. And a lot of times it comes down to realizing that, okay, self-care is not selfish. I got it. Check. I need to take better care of myself, but I just can't because there's so many things going on in my life, (laughs) you know, but really taking it out of the idea that self-care is the yoga class or self-care is you know, an afternoon reading or a walk at the beach. Self-care is when you're in the middle of a challenging situation with your boss or your family member, instead of tensing yourself and waiting for it to be over, doing the things that we're doing in the yoga class, doing the things that Tai Chi teaches us, softening in the middle of it, moving from your middle in the middle of it. So you're actually doing the practice with more of the time and hopefully all of the time. So I feel like this really rang true for me once in New York. I was standing next to somebody in line at a coffee shop or whatever years ago, and I knew the person, and they were really stressed for whatever reason. They were trying to get somewhere, and they just started to just, everything just started to come together, and it's not going to change the fact that you're waiting in line. (laughs) It's actually making it worse and worse and worse for you, and that's such a simple thing that we're all always in. We're all going to wait in line. We're all going to be driving somewhere. We're all going to be waiting on the train. And those are the moments that are self-care. So it's sort of taking this, okay, I'm doing this easy practice in the yoga class. And if I really do it in the yoga class, I don't have to think every single other moment of the day, how am I going to do it? Whatever you practice, if you do a yoga class, how you practice that yoga class is going to be how you go and hail the taxi. It's Are you going to flip off the taxi driver, you're going to be rude, or you're going to have a conversation with the taxi driver, you're going to have a better conversation with people on the street. It's sort of, that's your moment to practice how you want to be. So for me, yoga is just simply a laboratory to be a better person. And if it's not that, then from my perspective, what are we doing and why and who cares? You know, we're literally just trying to be gymnasts that you'll never be. (laughs) You're never (laughs) going to be a rhythmic gymnast unless you already are. So all of those things were always so clear to me, especially from a dance background. The Some of the physical movements are not that hard for me, but it doesn't mean that I'm a calm person. It doesn't mean that I'm 
at ease. It doesn't mean that I'm doing the best that I can. So it can't be about those poses. I shouldn't get a gold star for being able to do a dancer pose. I was a dancer, (laughs) (laughs) but it doesn't mean that I need to do 85 push-ups and do something more extreme. It means that I need to find the same things to calm myself, to move with ease, to woo way in the yoga practice so I can do it all of the time. And for me, that's got to be the whole point. And I feel like that's such a great value and people find that in themselves and kind of move along and be good people in the world and build that community. Yeah. Yeah. About community. I wanted to ask about your whole experience leading teacher trainings. I know you guys just call them kind of trainings, (laughs) right? And this idea of, you know, bringing a group of people in from all places in the world and for a few days or two weeks or, you know, however long, really diving into this whole world of Strala yoga and how people you know, have transformations during that time, all of these discoveries, all of these aha moments of really getting it, you know, and really, really embracing this whole way of being. So I would love to hear how, you know, that started and how do you really take this whole world and try to transfer it on to people and allow them to, to embrace it and take it with them, you know, wherever they live and to to bring that back to their community. So I would love to hear about, you know, the process of starting these trainings and, you know, what you learned along the way and what they've come to be now and what you love about them so much. Gosh, well, they started, I think, with a lot of things for me with yoga as, okay, fine, <laughs> you know, as a reluctance. Oh, uh, you know, I had no interest <laughs> in doing it because I, again, I had such a bad experience seeing the power trips and seeing right. the the force confusion and all these things. And I guess 20 years ago or so, a lot of yoga teachers that were friends of mine in different styles would just come to class and basically to try to poke holes in what I was doing. Really? <laughs> and they were all 20 years older than me and they wanted to come and be a big sister and say, oh, you should really be doing this. Or you should be doing that. But what actually ended up happening was they took the class, they enjoyed it. They talked to some people around, they left. They came back a week later and they started to change a few things in their classes and started having more success. You know, more people would come, which is good for them, good for their, you know, health of their teaching schedule, but also people stopped getting injured, (laughs) which is a huge thing for us. And, and people started feeling better and they started burning out less and all of these things. So these teachers would come to me and they would say, what are you doing? Like, how are you doing this? (laughs) Well, you're doing the class. Like you're picking some of it up. What do you think? So it started as this kind of people were getting it by experience and then going back and doing it. And, you know, we had this essential laboratory for so long. We started giving workshops on different movements or different ways of sequencing kind of slowly, but surely people would go back and they would have a lot of these same successes, these same things were happening. More people were coming because the people coming to their classes were enjoying themselves. So they would actually go home and tell their friends yeah. <laughs> and they would come back next week that. with a friend instead of the one person who just loves to beat themselves up and come to that kind of dogmatic yoga practice every day. And oftentimes the teachers that were adopting these methods that Mike and I were doing 
they weren't coming up with these dogmatic ways of teaching. They were just doing what they learned. So essentially, it was this kind of trickle down from some person at the top teaching some wacky stuff and then the telephone game of it getting diluted. And that person really didn't want to be doing any of those things anyway. They didn't want to be pushing people into poses anyway. They wanted a better way. They didn't want to burn out. So slowly but surely, we started leading these workshops and then trainings. And it started with people that were just living in the area, people that could walk within a 10-block radius or whatever to the studio. And then I think New York just being what it is, people like to come in and visit and because I was doing things online as well, people would say, oh, someday I want to come to New York. And sometimes people would just come and take a class and then go home to Spain. And I'm thinking, that's yeah. cool, cool that you can do that or whatever. But then all of a sudden, it started to become what felt like to me, the UN of yoga. You know, we would have, and which honestly has been my dream since a little kid. I always wanted to meet different people from everywhere and do something and make friends and all of those kind of corny things. So (laughs) that was all completely fulfilled. So I'd see, you know, however many people we'd have in the group that were coming in were from 12 to 15 different countries and we're all moving with ease and everybody has this different background, this different story, and everybody is kind of ready to, to be open to having some sort of transformation and it started to be really interesting. A lot of things I didn't expect. People were learning how to be around people that were different from them. They maybe never had that experience before. So that was starting to be really interesting. Kind of like, here we are, we are the world. <laughs> Let's try to do something. And within that kind of laboratory, of course, we're learning sequencing, learning how to move with ease, learning how to put things together. And a lot of the mini workshops that I would like to do that I kind of invented by seeing them work were taking away a lot of the expected things from teaching and showing people that you're leading the experience of actually how you feel about yourself. So if you practice this, you're going to get better at teaching yoga, leading yoga for as long as you're practicing and improving, getting better at it. So let's practice that. But alongside of that, let's not forget you. You're not just a robot collecting information and feeling exhausted at the end of the night. You're not just writing, you know, notes down and forgetting that you're the one doing it. So I loved these versions and variations of practices where I'd have one person lead something, some movement, or just some sitting down and breathing and having a small group of people around them practicing being the people in their class and seeing the incredible swap of energy and just as simple as it is it doesn't have to be energy and crystals and everything but but the people in the practice group started to feel a little bit like the person leading and then they would talk about it and so I thought okay what's great about doing a workshop and having this time is I can talk about a bunch of stuff that works and we can workshop it but then when people give each other kind of feedback on what the experience was so that started to happen And people really started to understand, holy cow, it's necessary for me to breathe. It's necessary for me to be aware of myself. The movements are very important and the words that I say are very important, but they need to back up me. They need to back up how I'm being and how I'm moving. So I feel like those kind of exercises convinced or showed or opened up that reality of self-care is an all-the-time thing. It's not just 
when the yoga class starts and when the yoga class ends for anybody. So I feel like those moments were huge in community building too, because it's not just, okay, the brand is building and all these people are coming and we're getting more popular. It's that this is amazing and what we're doing together is amazing. And we're opening up our eyes and looking around and realizing that everybody here is amazing and we want to be better people. So we're going to all do these individual things and support each other in that. So this idea that Tai Chi and yoga and and being together teaches us, if we actually pay attention, naturally just builds community because that's what we all essentially want. We don't have to try to make it into this big ball of people, you know, kind of collecting like trophies or something. It's sort of, we're all here together for a common reason and we're all respecting our unique and individual choices and traits and things. So we're practicing being good people while we're practicing doing this thing. And I think in there somewhere is this secret of community building and maybe it helps people get out of their own fears and insecurities, not just of letting go of rigidity and tension, but letting go of how they can be successful in the world and what it takes and and maybe some techniques that they feel like they needed to do in order to build their own communities that they realize, oh, I can just practice being good at the thing that I'm doing and open up and see who's around and do that. And maybe that person has a friend and maybe that person will introduce me to somebody else and that becomes a lot nicer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I For me, one of the biggest things has been, you know, seeing this whole community and how everyone interacts with each other. And I think it all starts when you give that permission to be yourself and to take care of yourself and to listen to yourself. And from there, you're able to actually connect with others. Because when we have this style or, you know, this perspective of trying to be successful in the world, as you said, but we think we need to do it in a certain way right? Then it becomes very mechanical. It's not really coming from within. And we're just kind of looking outwards and what should I manipulate about myself to hopefully make people like me more, right? Or, you know, what are people looking for and how can I give it to them? That kind of mentality. But the paradox is actually feeling good with yourself and having all of that energy come from within then you're able to actually meet people where you are and where they are. And then that connection can actually form in an organic way. Because, you know, even if you're trying to build a community, but it's not happening organically like that, then what are the connections really based on? And I think having that common idea and that common goal, I guess, you know, to to discover this thing and to all feel better, I think that really brings people together and just discovering this whole new way of being, you know, I can really see how having those transformations together as well and being in that kind of space, which for a lot of people is pretty foreign, you know, allowing themselves to, to embrace all of these different things that really cultivates this wonderful sense of community. And I think, as we said, people are pretty hungry for that these days. And everyone's kind of thinking, how do I build a community? And it can, you know, sometimes seem, you know, we were talking about this before, of community being this thing that 
I need to build. So it's behind me, right? This kind Mm -hmm. of, like you said, the brand is growing, but that's not really the point. The point is growing this entire community that's embracing Strala and, and benefiting from it. So I think that approach is so important and it really makes all the difference at the end of the day. And just having that when something happens organically and when something is, when you're doing something that you enjoy at the end of the day, you know, it's all easy. And if we're forcing something, we're going to meet it with struggle again and again. So Strala Yoga has been, you know, very kind of present also on the internet and on social media. And I would love to hear how that whole journey started because, you know, you, you had the, the private lessons and then the studio and all of these different things, but you were also able to reach a lot more people, you know, through the internet. So I'd love to hear how that whole, <laughs> how that whole world started. Sure. I think I got lucky and I'm also just, I guess, not a very self-conscious person. I don't need <laughs> things to be perfect or feel like they should be. And I'm not worried about that kind of a stuff, I guess. But in high school, we had this computer program and it was really set up for people that weren't going to go on to college and you could do computers or you could do cosmetology even, or you could do welding. And I tried to get in welding, but they weren't letting girls back in. Oh. Back then, I was like so upset, but I ended up doing the computer program. So walking around, kind of learning about connections through computers and a little bit of the beginning of the internet and all of those things. So I kind of always was comfortable in that realm and not very scared of the computer and all of those kinds of things. <laughs> so when I moved to New York, it was still very much before social media. There wasn't Facebook, there wasn't YouTube, but I was always comfortable looking up people's websites and calling the phone number and saying, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> Let's go do something together. I think pretty similar to you, you know, if you have an idea... <laughs> You want to go and check out what's going on. And there was a little bit of people had a web presence and then you could go find out some more information. So I remember learning about YouTube and this was 2006 and there was cat videos and stuff like that. It was kind of the beginning of people putting things (laughs) up on the internet, but it was still a lot of videos that were already existing, somehow being uploaded, you know, repurposed content or something. And, you know, I had a MacBook and it had a little webcam inside. And I thought, well, I think you can do this. I think it's technically possible. And I was doing yoga for a while then already. And I thought, well, thinking about my friends back home who couldn't come to the yoga studio, and I'm thinking it's very special to be living in New York, to just be living around people in general. There's so many people. I'm going to be able to convince somebody to do yoga with me. (laughs) It doesn't mean that they're going to come to the studio, but I can meet someone on the street that has a back pain or whatever. So I knew that if you weren't here, you could be in the computer somewhere. (laughs) And I just had that basic kind of idea. So I started these really simple videos that were very, I guess you could say controversial, but I never thought they were controversial. Like five minute yoga was, whoa, my gosh, you can't do that. Yoga has to be 90 minutes and it has to be in person with a teacher because you might get injured, you know? Right, and And no music and no fun. (laughs) No fun. And I'm thinking... My mom has done Buns of Steel and Jane Fonda for forever. And, you know, they trust the people at home to move their bodies. You wake up every day and you get out of bed on your own. You don't have somebody (laughs) saying, and now put your right foot on the floor, breathe in. So I thought that was just a silly criticism, to be honest. But it was really a big deal back then. 
So I'm thinking about my friends back home who were out of high school and starting to have the first kind of wave of grown up problems, breakups, and drinking a little too much, all of these kinds of things. So I was thinking about them and making these short videos. And I had no idea what getting a lot of views meant. I don't think anybody did, but there, you know, I, I noticed sometimes there was a lot of comments and views and things like that. And a girl that came to the studio worked for Huffington Post and she said, Oh, I'm the editor of the health section and it's so boring. It's kind of WebMD, you know, very 70s, very kind of problem solution, very medical. You know, something's wrong with your way you're thinking about life. How do you change? But nobody was kind of interested in that. It's kind of the beginning of blogging. So she said, I love your YouTube videos. Would you make some blogs? And I'm thinking, yeah, sure. Blog. That's a cool thing. That's like an article, (laughs) but on the internet. So I was writing these kind of tips about yoga and ways they could easily relate to your life, but doing everything that I was doing when I was literally talking to people in person, you know, convincing them that yoga could be better for them than, it, than maybe they currently understood. So, you know, there was also just a huge wide open space and nobody else, at least that I was aware of, seemed to be putting much of anything on the internet at all, especially health content or yoga content. So I was doing it and people started liking it and I just kept doing it and people started liking it. And it led to more and more media opportunities and I guess I was always just confident in not caring about the three or four criticisms of this has never been done before. How dare you? And listening to so many more voices saying, thank you. I feel so much better. Or a message coming in on email, somebody saying, I would never go to a yoga studio. I feel so intimidated, but thank you for making this video. I cured my back pain or whatever at home. And I'm I'm thinking, I don't know if it's true or not. It's the internet, but You know, as people started coming into the studio from New York or from traveling, I started to see that it was real. The internet and real life were starting to come together. So for me, it was always the people are inside the computer. That's great. They're everywhere. If I can meet them, that's great too. It's all great. So it very much went together at the same time. One was not the goal over the other sort of like, I mean, this is so corny, but kind of a yin yang. (laughs) I never saw a problem with the internet as a tool. And I think a lot of people did, or they thought it was bad, or they thought it was inherently evil. Of course, things change so much every few years and more people are addicted now and there's so much available now. But when I started, I feel the same as I do now. It's a tool and it's a easy way to reach people. And I don't want to spend too much time on trying to trick people through the internet, which a lot of people can do. It's, but it's the same problems in real life, (laughs) you know? So I just said, this is how I'm going to do it in real life. And it's easy to do it online. And it just all seems to go together with our world and our culture, just so easy. And I never, at least for my goal, never meant it to be an online in isolation, but it's here. It, your TV is here. You watch a movie at night. Why don't you do yoga at home? It just seems so an obvious tool, you know, to use this to help people feel better. Yeah. You know, what's obvious in your whole approach is that the motives for, you know, doing all of the things that you've done were so pure. 
all happened so organically. It was really because, you know, in today's world of Instagram influencers and all sorts of people like wanting to, you know, adopt this kind of personality online. But when that's the goal, then it just becomes a disaster, you know, and it's not really effective. And the person who's, you know, trying to get the followers or the likes isn't really enjoying the process either. But when it's all in the sense of, I like teaching yoga, right? I like guiding yoga and I love seeing people feel better and I want to spread that and the internet just becomes another tool for that goal, then everything just comes together. And I think that really shows now where with COVID and everything, you've transitioned to uh, Strala Home and the new app and you teach yoga live every morning and enjoy it. <laughs> so I would love to hear about that whole transition, you know, from teaching in person to teaching, you know, live in the mornings and how that experience has been and what's some of the feedback that you've gotten back. Oh, it's fun. For me, it feels like the beginning again, because yeah. I remember making YouTube videos and it was a different kind of process where you just make the thing, you'd put it up, you close your computer, you'd go do something else, you'd open it up later and you'd see what people have to say about it. Yeah. <laughs> and now it kind of feels similar, but in that real time. So for me, the ability to go live on social media platforms or now on the app is such a new thing. And it's such a fresh feeling, a fresh use of, of the internet too, especially because so much time has gone by between being able to make something and put it up and having that get weird, <laughs> you know, like having, <laughs> what do you mean? having that, seeing so many other folks do it, whether it's in the yoga space or fitness space and feel so much pressure to present a certain way or right. to spend money to do that. You know, if a big company isn't doing that to spend money to make it look a certain way and, and all of the stuff that you might do online that you would be embarrassed to do in person, like all of these kind of you know, when time goes on and the and the ability to do something in a certain way goes on, I think essentially, you know, it's going to change. It's going to shift. So I think the live thing is such a big reset for everybody. Okay, I'm just here. I'm just in my home. You're just in my home. I have my computer. I have a nicer camera. It doesn't matter. This is my living room. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like this is the, for us right now, it's the room above the garage, you know, and we're here and we're doing it. So for me, I'm happy for myself, but I'm also happy for everybody else because it's a reset of expectations of weirdness and presenting of trying to feel like you need something to look fancy or whatever it is. And everybody's just at home doing their thing. So when the quarantine hit us in New York, I realized, okay, we had our videos online. We had trainings online, but it was always, I never wanted to do, um, a commitment to having it be an app because I was doing a lot of things in person too. And it's just Mike and I and some, some outside help, but we're not trying to maximize everything right. and trying to do everything <laughs> all together all at once. We just want to help people as much as we can and have that be authentic and real and not trying to squeeze things in that kind of tense way it would just feel tense for us. So he set to work on figuring out how to make an app and what companies to work with and all of those things. And I said, well, I just noticed, I don't know how new it is, but I just noticed you can go live on Instagram. And 
I'm going to do that. So I just said, I don't care if it's popular or whatever, but every day, 8 a.m. Eastern time, I'll do a class and I just set it up and, you know, people can make little comments on Instagram and do all these hearts and stuff. So I just, (laughs) just, you know, they can talk amongst each other. And at the end, I would kind of go up to the phone and scroll around and talk to people as well. So it started to feel like the studio again, but everybody's at home in their own studio. And I think American Ballet Theater started doing something similar and they called it resident artist, you know, mm. but they were at home being the resident artist. Yeah. So I was thinking, oh, we're all resident yogis. Here we are doing our thing. I love and that. It became so nice to, to do a little practice to just give myself and whoever wanted to join something to do at that time every day. You know, it gave our life structure at home in a nice way. And after the class, sometimes, you know, I'd kind of come up to the phone and we'd chat. Whoever wanted to hang around, you'd be like, peace out, whatever. But then, you know, people email and there's messages. So it's kind of a lot of the same feedback before and after as an in-person experience. So I don't really see the difference, to be honest. It's just that the camera lens becomes the, the little tube that takes you inside everybody's house. And that's, right. it's strange, <laughs> but it's also just what it is. It doesn't need to be stranger than it is. You right. know, it's and it's amazing cool. that we can do that. Yeah, it's super cool. So with the app, I think we're in a unique position just from a time perspective because we have so many videos and I've met so many really talented filmmakers over the years on outside projects where I've gotten asked to do a nice video for a company or something. And then I've kind of pulled over the video folks and say, hey, do you want to come and do something for us? Or uh, can we hire you for to make our training? Because we couldn't film that ourselves. We just didn't know how. So over the years, we started doing nice looking videos And having them available, not really on YouTube so much anymore, but on, you know, to give to people that were doing trainings or things like that, more specific practices. So that started to become something we just had as a library on another platform that was more one-off. If you want to do this, here it is. If you want to do that, here it is. But when things started to become obvious, at least to us, that you can have everything in one place... And I said, well, if I'm going to charge anything, it has to be as low as possible so people don't feel like, oh, it's a big financial decision to do this. And, you know, we just never want to do that to people at all. It just wouldn't feel good. But just to keep it all sustainable, a very low monthly thing. But, you know, if you have all the videos that you already have, I'm thinking, well, I need to, I want to do yoga every day still. It's not just, we have hundreds of videos. It's enough to just have it be like a Netflix channel. But I feel like I want to do yoga with people still. <laughs> so I thought, well, for me, you know, I had Mike make make sure we chose a developer that built in the ability to have and store as many live classes as we want to have and have it not break down and have the bandwidth and all of that boring technical stuff just so we could do it and have it. And, you know, people tell me, oh, that's quite different you know, from other yoga or fitness apps that I see, there's like a really fancy, well-produced video that comes up once a week. And I said, well, we have all of that already and we can still do that as things open up and we can invite people to come and make like shiny, fun looking things. And I think that has a certain fun thing for everybody too, but the ability to have this be a live studio where we talk about things that are going on in the world. And we do yoga classes and every Sunday we added a workshop because people are thinking, Oh, at the studio, we used to have workshops. I'm thinking, well, let's just do it on Sunday. (laughs) So it's so great for me and for Mike and for the people that practice with us. And 
we all chat during the class and after we have, sometimes we meet up on Zoom for certain things and, you know, there's ways to make it work where we don't have to feel bad that we're all just at home when really we're all at home with most of the time anyway. You know, even if you're coming to a yoga training, even with us, that's a period of time. And then we all go home anyway, and we can stay connected in this way if people want to. So it's been nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And this whole live element allows for such engagement, right? You really feel like you're connecting with the community and, you know, it's, um, there's something so much more down to earth about it as well. It's just very, you're in your home, you know, and you're with your cup of tea or something (laughs) or whatever it is. And having that, I think just practicing by yourself at home, when you have one of your videos, you can kind of decide whether to turn it on or not. But there's something about the live element that also helps you get over that. You know, sometimes you know you should, like, you'll feel better, but but it's hard to get yourself on the mat. And there's something about the fact that it's live in person and you're there and you're, you know, communicating that makes it easier for people as well to really, you know, show up. I think it's amazing that you guys are doing it and it's really unique. I don't think this is really being done in this kind of way very much. And it's, you know, goes to show how you really do stay engaged with a community and that it just kind of feedback loop that sustains itself. Just the last thing now. Okay. So I want to kind of, you know, go in a certain direction of, the whole, you know, world of Strali Yoga and everything that it stands for, you guys have been able to accomplish so much with it and bring it to so many people. What would you like to see happen with Strali Yoga now in the future? Where would you like to see it, you know, pop up? Who would you like to, what kind of communities would you like to bring Strali Yoga to that maybe you haven't been able to yet? Hmm. Oh, gosh. Yeah, we were talking about this the other day. And again, something Mike and I talk about so much is it's really cool to be helping people with yoga. But the funny thing that Mike and I always say about it is yoga is actually the problem, too. (laughs) (laughs) It's still yoga. You know, it's still yoga. It's still a challenge to, to get people to put on not yoga clothes, but just comfortable clothes. It's hard to get people to crawl down to the ground. It's going to be the forever challenge and, but also the forever exciting project too. So I love, and I think Mike does love also to help people who really need help, like that are really in pain, that are really having a problem. You know, it's great that a lot of fit people want to do yoga with us because they feel better and it's awesome and they make better career choices and they, yeah. yeah <laughs> and I love it. And and I'm that too. I'm that person. You know, I feel so connected to that. But for me, 10 years ago, I got to come back here to my hometown and try to make this little video project. And, and somebody else was producing it to convince my hometown to do yoga with me. And it really wasn't about bringing everybody together for this yoga class, although we did that, but it was more about walking around and talking to the people about how they're doing, how they're feeling, what their life is going on and how breathing better, how doing yoga better, moving around in this way can help them feel better. And it was such a cool thing. And I felt so lucky that I somehow got that to happen, (laughs) pull that and convince somebody to come and do that. But for me, really, that's an area that I feel 
that what we do with Strala is so unique and yoga is great. And I feel there's so much growth still within how Strala yoga can change other yogas and influence other yoga teachers and, you know, reach more people through people doing yoga. And I feel like there's also this even more massive opportunity for Strala to help people with really bad pain, really bad addiction, really bad life circumstances with some simple movements that don't necessarily look like a downward dog, or they definitely don't look like a handstand, (laughs) or you don't have to put on your yoga pants or go to a yoga studio or even click on a live yoga class with everybody else doing yoga. So I feel like there's, there's something in there that we're talking about quite a bit with reaching kind of the everybody population that wouldn't even walk into a yoga class because so many people that we've somehow managed to reach are kind of the misfits of yoga. They would never be there. You know, we'd have, even in New York, there was a guy who was pretty different physically than everybody else. And he, but he just loved what we talked about. And he was a really smart guy and he really latched onto the philosophy and he studied all these other things and could talk about all these interesting things. But he said, I fit in here. I belong here, but I would never do a fitness class. I would never do a yoga class. And he would come and get down on the ground and roll around in the regular yoga class. But what he was doing looked completely different, but he felt comfortable that he could follow the instruction and move how it felt good for him. But he was also confident enough to get himself there in the first place. So we had a, we have a ton of people like that, which is to me is amazing because they feel confident enough and they know they're they're not the the run-of-the-mill yoga person who can come in and get the green juice and leave and say, yay, Australia <laughs> yoga is so great and different, you know, and that whole thing. And that's fine. And that's, you know, a huge portion of who's going to come and do yoga. But I think, you know, I realize what we have and I realize how powerful it is. And there's still, even though there's millions of people doing yoga, there's millions of people that yoga could help if it didn't look like a downward dog. So I think we're we're figuring out ways to meet people where they are, whether it's in their homes or through their doctors or through an app or through, you know, community centers, teaching people how to teach Strala yoga in a way where the forms are different. They're not dumbing yoga down and they're not, you know, limited to a chair or limited to your your hospital bed or it doesn't have to be so heavy all the time, but it's just, okay, I can do that, you know, even more approachable, even more simple in a way where, you know, I'm thinking of all my relatives, they would never come to a yoga class of mine, but they want to feel better. You know, there's a huge opportunity there specifically for how Mike and I and the Strala community think about and practice these ideas that just so happen to be in the yoga form. I think it's still yoga, but it's not altogether in a group in a downward dog split. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. To, you know, make it even more accessible and to maybe package it in a way that, you know, some people, if they hear yoga, they just like tense up automatically and they're like, no, not for me. But there's still so many good things that they can benefit from just to soften and breathe and, you know, learn how to move from your middle. All of these really simple things that can be so powerful and can help people with injury and all sorts. So I really hope to see that. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure you guys, you know, will do amazing things as you've already done. <laughs> so I just wanted to ask if people listening to this today, if they take just, you know, 
one or two things away from this conversation, what would you want it to be? Gosh, I really feel this way. And I probably think about this too much because it's such a big thing to be able to share this. And, you know, I think about this, if I am standing in line at the grocery store, I want to be soft so I can be movable for myself. Yay, self-care, but also it magically, and that's the wrong word, but it affects the people around you. (laughs) And it's so cool. So I think for whoever's listening, if you do yoga, amazing. You can do yoga in a softer way and it will change your life. And you don't have to believe me, you just try it and it's the new reality and amazing, cool. And you figure that out in your own time, in your own way. But, But really, for me, the big idea is to soften in your every moment, whenever you notice you're not. And once you do, for me, I love explaining this. You don't even have to breathe more deeply and more big. You know, that's a big cue in yoga. Breathe deep, you know, and you can't breathe deep if you're tense. You're kind of trying to breathe deep against yourself. You're like holding yourself back and you're trying to move forward. But if you actually soften yourself, which is the big resistance, if I soft, I'm going to be lazy. If I soften, I can do that on vacation, but I can't do that when I'm at work. But if you soften yourself, bend yourself a little bit, become movable, your big breath is all of a sudden there. Like it's, for me, it feels like, okay, my breath is outside the front door (laughs) waiting for me to open it all the time. So I don't need to make the breath appear, make my breath appear. I just need to open the door. And I know that that's something I need to do. It's not a mystery how to open it. It's that softening, which is essentially a giving in or a giving up. That's that big resistance too. But I think knowing that that's not something that I, Tara Stiles, made up in my bedroom one day, it's, yes, I realize that alone without knowing Tai Chi, but we all can do that too. And then you can look up in a book if that makes you feel better. Oh, soften. (laughs) Soften is the key to your breath moving you. Okay. That's what that's what the ninjas do. That's what any super high level performer in the Olympics is essentially doing. They're working as efficiently as possible to do the thing in some way. So for me, I take a lot of refuge in the fact that I feel like I discovered this thing and then I realize it's real. I realize I'm not out of my bonkers in that (laughs) reality. Maybe I am in other ways, but it just... It's so comforting to know that there is an option to soften. And when you choose that, every time you choose that, things go better. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Easier said than done, I think, just to do that for the first time because Mm. there's so much resistance. But once you do, like you said, a whole world opens up. All right, Tara, this has been so amazing. Thank you so much for you know, coming on the podcast and inviting me here to (laughs) Illinois. And, you know, I've been doing Strala Yoga since I was 18. And I was lucky enough to discover yoga through Strala, which has been, you know, my relationship with yoga has been so amazing because of that. So it's been great to talk with you today. And I hope everyone listening is going to, you know, open up Strala Yoga on YouTube or wherever and just kind of, you know, immerse yourself in this whole world because it's so easy to feel better. You're the best. (laughs) It's so easy to feel better. And yeah, it's, that's completely true. And because we have each other, we have this community, we can 
I think that's such a big deal too. And with your listeners is a real community also to know that you're a part of other people softening as well. You're not alone. So thank you. Of course. For everyone out there listening, thank you for tuning in to The Bigger Picture. I hope you found this conversation interesting. You can find us on all podcasting platforms, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to hit subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. My name is Roni Firon. This is The Bigger Picture. And thank you for listening. Until next time.